North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. Overnight, North Korea fired two unidentified projectiles in a new military test. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Relations between the two Koreas have cooled since a flurry of personal meetings between the leaders last year. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. In this episode of The Impossible State, we're joined, as always, by CSIS's Victor Cha. And we're joined by Kong Che, the acting president of the Asan Institute for Policy Studies in Seoul, Korea. We've got a lot to talk about today as North Korea launched two missiles, marking its 12th test since May in an apparent effort to pressure the United States to return to denuclearization talks. Kong, it's so good to have you here from South Korea. Victor, is always so happy to be with you here at CSIS. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. Today is Thursday. It's Halloween. And in North Korea, they launched, what, the 12th missile test since May? Is that right, Victor? Yeah, well, you know, it's Halloween, so anything's possible. <laughs> um, they like to mark these big U.S. holidays. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, mm-hmm. frankly. And this was done in an apparent effort to pressure the United States, Kong, to do what? To return to the negotiating table? Actually, try to say that we are going to take a new path unless there is a deal between the United States and North Korea over North Korea, uh, the nuclear issue, I think, because they have been the mounting pressure upon the, the United States, for example, the Kim Gekwans actually actually sent a very uh, party message for the, the the dialogue. On the other end, the Kim Myung Chol as it has returned to the dialogue and then expressed very harsh rhetoric vis-a-vis the United States. You don't have much time. We are not going to back to the negotiation unless the United States comes up with some new ideas and new calculus on that issue. So I think North Korea is in a mode to to uh, mount pressure upon the United States. Victor, what do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think Kong's all right. Uh, first, I think Kong, you know, I want to thank him for joining us on the Impossible State. He flew all the way from Seoul just for this. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure. Uh, I'm a, I'm thank a you friend. for being here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we sent we sent the CSIS jet. Right. Uh-huh, That's thanks. right. I love yeah. that jet. Yeah. yeah, the G5. Right. Uh-huh. So, right. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, we're getting closer to the end of the year. Yeah. Right. The North Korean leader said something has to change by the end of the year or else. Right. Right. And so I think they're positioning themselves in many ways right now Mm -hmm. for either taking a tougher track going forward or returning to the diplomacy. But taking a tougher track, they're essentially signaling, look, we told you we were going to do this, Mm -hmm. right, unless the U.S. softened their position. And then um, on the diplomacy side, you know, they're positioning in the sense that if the United States does come back to talks, then they can claim it was because they were tough, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. so this is like I said, you know, not only this is not only surprising on Halloween. It's it's not surprising because this is very the typical cyclical North Korean behavior. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that they're truly? They say they're frustrated. Are they truly frustrated, or is this just part of the posturing? I think uh, they're really frustrated because actually Kim Jong-un went to Hanoi to get something, but he didn't get anything. So actually, that actually downgraded his reputation domestically, internationally. So actually, they are under pressure 
to achieve something out of this game to justify Kim Jong-un's rule and Kim Jong-un's way of handling this issue as well as the United States. So actually they are frustrated in dealing with that. So that's actually proved in the Stockholm meeting. So I don't know what they actually asked the United States to uh, in exchange for the, the, the nuclear deal, but so kind of regime security or the economic sanction relief, something else. But actually they are frustrated because they have not got, they haven't got what they wanted from the United States. Of course, uh, uh, the, the, the Mr. Began, actually, it's, it's, it seems to me that United States has shown some flexibility in dealing with this issue. So Steve Began, our the ambassador. The ambassador, actually, yeah. Ambassador Began showed some flexibility in his statement, actually. But that was not good enough for the uh, for, for North Korea to accept. They are demanding more and more to to get the, from their own perspective, get the maximum mileage out of this game, because actually they are pressing the United. They, they know actually, maybe they believe President Trump under pressure because he has claimed over and over again, this is the things I have achieved over the past one and a half years: no nuclear test, no ICBM test. Actually, those could actually try to uh, uh, manipulate that frame in their favor. I think they're 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 frustrated for all the reasons that Kong said. I think they're also frustrated because, you know, they put their they put their leader out there on the line. I mean, he was yeah. out there three meetings with the U.S. president um, here in Washington. Of course, we think it's a big deal for Trump, the U.S. president, to cross the DMZ and. Mm-hmm. But you know, probably from a North Korean perspective too, they think it's a big deal if they put their leader out there on the line and in, in uh, exposed in many ways, and they've gotten nothing for it. Mm-hmm. But they did get the United States president to engage, which yeah. is something he, no leaders ever of North Korea has ever really gotten to that extent. Yeah, I think they've gotten that, and but that North Korea, you know, is such that they will pocket that, mm-hmm. and then the next thing is, you know, they want what they want, which is sanctions relief. I mean, what they want doesn't really change. You know, yeah. they, you know, they've had three meetings with the president of the United States, like you said, something they have wanted for seventy years, mm-hmm. and the way they talk about things, the way that they negotiate. Nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. It's the same. They want the same things. They want everything up front. Nothing. Nothing has changed. So I think part of the frustration is that they're they're nervous because they put their leader out there, um, exposed him, and nothing has come of it. Uh, they're nervous about that. They're also nervous that if they don't get anything before the election campaign starts in the United States. They're going to be sitting around under sanctions for another year, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's that's also part of it. And also the other element, because actually North Korean side has actually set the date that's December thirty first of this year. If they didn't get anything from out of the, uh, this game, I don't know what kinds of things they have to do into the future. They would be puzzled what they have to do if they don't get anything out of this game. Going for ICBM test, that is kinds of the 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 point of no return, maybe U.S. could become much more tough on the on North Korea and then begin to form an international coalition in enforcing sanctions 100% and asking China and Russia to comply to the U.N. sanctions. So actually, maybe North Korea is under, uh, actually under pressure in, in thinking about what do they mean really by the new way or new path into the future. So it's go- it has been kind of rhetoric. But also backed up by the action, the sac- sac- actions such as like a missile test for the past six months, twelve times. But those things have not changed the thing at all. 
So I think they, are, they have much more frustrate at this point of time. And you mentioned that Kim Jong-un may have looked to his people uh, because he got nothing out of these meetings as, as possibly a little bit weak. Is that why you see symbols of him on the white horse climbing up the famous mountain in North Korea? Is that why you see these outward symbols of, that he's trying to project of strength? Yeah, because in North Korean perspective, I think the leader cannot afford to have any kinds of failure. I think this is the first time Kim Jong-un got failed in his diplomacy. He was cheered by his own people when he met Xi Jinping. Actually, Xi Jinping promised to send 2 million Chinese tourists and also 800,000 tons of metric tons of grain to North Korea to help the North Korean people out of this hunger. All those, he got almost everything in his meeting with foreign leaders. He got something out of Moon Jae-in, of course, out of promises. But he didn't get anything in his Hanoi meeting, especially. So his reputation is undermined as his lead, uh, leadership is also the, under pressure in the eyes of North, ordinary North Korean people. So I think that's why he went to, that's one of the reasons I, he went back to uh, the back to mountain on the white horse. And then that's, that's exactly, it looked like a Kim Il-sung, over 70 or uh, maybe more than that. So he actually using the, his grandfather's image to boost up the, his popularity and legitimacy as the leader of North Korea. So he's using the image of his grandfather to, to, to strengthen the, his control of the regime. Down to even the similar haircut and, haircut. and, and oh, the yeah. coat he yeah, was yeah. wearing mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, at least he didn't go shirtless like Putin, right? <laughs> <laughs> he does, I don't know if he has the physique these days to go uh, shirtless like Putin. Yeah, so yeah. maybe in his younger years. Yeah, right. Maybe. It certainly wouldn't be G-rated anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> the, um, so a couple of things. The, the, the first is that, you know, I think, you know, the North Koreans have sort of laid down this timeline December 31st. Yeah. Right? Um, I do think the U.S. and North Korea will re-engage. I think there will be uh, engagement. You know, the North Koreans said the U.S. brought nothing creative to the table at the last working level meeting, but I think they did bring creative things to the table. The State Department said they brought creative things, which is all a reflection of how much I think Trump wants a deal. Like, he wants a deal. Um, Maybe it's not a full deal. Maybe it's an interim deal, like the U.S.-China deal. Maybe it's an interim deal. But he wants one. And, um, you know, if Kim's saying it's got to be by December 31st and there aren't people in the U.S. government that are standing in the way of what Trump wants, then we could get a deal before December 31st. Um, may not be a good deal, but we could certainly get one. Is Trump under more pressure, Victor, to get some kind of deal given what's going on with foreign policy in the Middle East? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, the Republicans have come out finally and criticized him on, you know, on Syria. Um, there's all the other domestic things happening here in the United States related to the Ukraine. Ukraine. So I think that, you know, the, he needs a win, quote, in, in quotations, a win. Uh, and he needs to distract attention from everything that we're focused on now. But I think, and most importantly, he wants a deal with yeah. North Korea. And he has been out there defending the North Korean leader's intentions. You know, with every missile test and everything he does, he's been defending the North Korean leader. He's the only one in the U.S. government that's out there defending North Korean intentions. And, and, and the North Koreans have said that the president's relationship with their leader 
is an important one and that the rest of the, the government better get it together mm-hmm. or else. Mm-hmm. Correct? So, so that's typical North, North Korean way of top-down approach. They, have, they prefer their top-down approach because actually, uh, of course, you have to take into account the typical North Korean way of doing this kinds of thing. They won't talk only one person. So actually, the other way around, for example, in North Korea, except Kim Jong-un, nobody can make a critical decision. Right. So that's the, the one of the, the reasons why we have to have kinds of summit. But I, I don't really believe in the effectiveness of summit unless we have some uh, good preparatory works done by at the at the working level meeting. Uh, the concern I have, like whether what is the content of deal President Trump might have with Kim Jong Un. So bad small deal. I, I I cannot imagine the bad small deal will really contribute to the, the denuclearization. So North Korea knows that maybe Trump, President Trump wants a deal right? after the next level. But on the other, may, other way around, if that deal is not good enough to lead us to the, the actual de- de- denuclearization, it is going to be criticized domestically. You know more than I do about domestic policy. Maybe Republicans and Democrats will criticize a bad deal that is going to be much more counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I think I think the North Koreans in that sense are not stupid. Mm -hmm. And so they will make a deal that won't be denuclearization because it won't be verifiable. Mm -hmm. They're not going to agree to verification. They haven't agreed to verification in the last two agreements. They haven't even opened up the books. They haven't even opened up the books. Yeah. So, you know, let alone turn over stuff. Right. (laughs) So um, it's not going to be a good deal in the sense of verifiable denuclearization. But they will put something in it mm-hmm. that Trump can claim no previous president has got. Sure. Right? Something um, uh, that you know Clinton didn't get in the 94 Agreed Framework, that Bush didn't get in the six-party talks, that Obama didn't get in the Leap Day deal. And then Trump will hang on to that and say, I got something that nobody else got a better it's you know it's the best deal ever right yeah. that's that's going to be what's going to happen and then and then of course there will be people who will criticize him you know just like there were people who criticized him for the china deal and then what he'll say is look it's just an interim step right it's not the final deal it's an interim step and look they're not firing a, they're not doing another nuclear test they're not doing um, long range icbm tests you know i've stopped all that you know he's got an answer for and that he, and he won't be wrong no, you won't be wrong. And, you know, most Americans won't know the difference, right? I mean, but actually about the the, the, the the content I like to have in the deal, for example, clear definition of denuclearization, yeah. the scope of denuclearization. Second element, actually the North Korea willingness at the end of the day to accept the verification. Uh, before that, maybe the, actually the, that is going to be the third. The second element, the, the declaration of nuclear program. If the, cont- uh, the the agreement or any kinds of deal contains three elements, those three elements, I can go along with that. Mm-hmm. So, and then we can start with the Yongbyon, then go into the next step. Right. But here's the thing: what if they what if they say, look, you know, we commit to you know some definition of denuclearization. My pet peeve on that is we already have a definition. We agreed to it in 2005. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There's a very clear definition, and the North Koreans are reinventing the wheel on that. Mm-hmm. But what if they do, you know, they promise, you know, they have a definition of denuclearization. 
they promise uh, declaration, they promise verifiability, but they just make those promises. And then in return, the United States starts to lift sanctions, agrees to a peace regime. You know, these are the, these are the sorts of things. And, you know, materially, maybe they freeze Yongbyon, mm -hmm. right? And, and maybe they agree in principle to stopping more production of fuel, uh, nuclear material. You know, that's, again, that sounds good, but from a verification perspective, it's not, it's not really a deal. Mm -hmm. But I agree. I entirely agree with Kong. I mean, you know, those are the key elements like so true denuclearization, yeah. and verification, the, and declaration. The, but actually, the other elements I like to see in that agreement, the things we are going to give to North Korea. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So what kinds of sanctions could be lifted mm -hmm. in return for North Korea's promises to implement the actual, the actual denuclearization of North Korea? So gradual lift of sanction depending which will affect North Korea, ordinary North Koreans. We can start from there in reverse way, but not all five major sanctions on North Korea. That is going to be the loss of our leverage in dealing with or keeping the North Korea on the right track toward the denuclearization process. Let me read you both something. This comes from Cho Hei, who's a senior official in North Korea. And he was speaking to a group the other day, and he's just a day ago. He said, quote, now the situation on the Korean peninsula is at a critical crossroads of either moving towards a durable peace along with the trend of detente or facing again a touch and go crisis. That's nobody wants a touch and go crisis again, including South Korea. Mm -hmm. So where does if that statement is really where North Korea is? How do, what do we need? What does the United States and South Korea need to do to avoid this touch and go crisis? So simple. Let me quote Clint Eastwood word like, make my day. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so actually, whenever North Korea sees some toughness on the part of South Korea and the United States, they change their attitude, becoming much more flexible in dealing with the issues. If you are becoming much more docile toward the North Korean demands, they're going to exploit that kinds of moment for their own interests. So actually that represents the typical North Korean brickmanship diplomacy vis-a-vis -vis any outsiders. So I think we should remain tough and focused on these issues. And also we must be very clear in our message. If you want to go back to this, the crisis, we are ready to handle this crisis. It, it's really an incredible situation because just the day before that, Kim Jong-un sent flowers mm -hmm. to Moon Jae over the the loss of Moon Jae's mother. Mm -hmm. So so there is some soft diplomacy and then there's some hard words being delivered in, in almost the same breath. So Kim Jong-un as a kind of leader has shown his kind of humanity vis-a-vis -vis Korean people as a as kinds yeah. of the, the, as a part of kind of charm offense vis-a-vis -vis South Korea. Yeah. So that may work or may not work. I have no idea. But actually, his soft power diplomacy would, un would actually would be challenged by the actual the missile test. We will forget that aspect very much. So if there's consistency in his policy in handling intercurrent relations, we can take that as a kind of positive sign but on the other end, because actually the action, the next day, the missile test, say, oh, that's kinds of, what, what I can say, kinds of this trick North, uh, Kim Jong-un has taken vis-a-vis -vis South Korea to soften this, the, the, the South Korean mind. That's actually, it worked the other way around, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, for one, I mean, they've done this before, like um, when Kim Dae-jung, and Kim Dae-jung's wife also to try to, you know, as Kong said, soften and in many ways influence the public policy discussion in South Korea about the engagement strategy. But I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how popular this engagement strategy is in South Korea No, it's today. not working. It's not working that much. Actually, when we first received, for example, the North Korean athlete in Tegu, oh, wow, that's actually, it worked so well. But over the years, South Koreans know actually it's kind of charm offense coming from North Korean side that could be seen as a, as a way North Korea handle the current situation, the divide and rule among the Korean populace. But I don't think that will work this time that much. The way the South Koreans responded to the, you know, the effort to bring together the two Koreas at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And, the, and they had the joint women's hockey team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that. I mean, it sounded good in theory, but no, the public's reaction was not. It's not that good. Actually, yeah. public actually went the other way. She criticized government to take the chances, South Korean athletes to chance to take part in the Olympic away from them. Yeah. So it was very much critical toward that. Yeah. There's a great book, by the way, new book by Seth Berkman. I mean, I'm, we're, I'm not I'm not being paid to plug his book on <laughs> no, the well, Apostle let's hear State. About it. yeah, it's, good it's a great book. It's, it's actually about the, the making of the South Korean women's hockey team that played in Pyeongchang at the Winter Olympics. It's a very interesting book because... Um, it talks about sort of the South Korean players on the team, the importing of ethnic Korean players from Korea, uh, from America and Canada who mm-hmm. are good hockey players. And and the, the coach is a, a Canadian woman, mm-hmm. right? They right. import a Canadian with Sarah Murray. And then, you know, it's all about this. And then on top of that, all of a sudden, as the team is gelling, all of a sudden they're told they're going to be, I don't remember how many North Korean players brought onto the team. It was team. like four, I think, something like that. Right? More than that. More than that. There's more yeah, than that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and so it was very interesting. Uh, I mean, I find it a very interesting book because I'm interested in sports and politics. Well, let's get Seth on the on the yeah, be great state. To get let's him. bring him on. It'd be great mm-hmm. to get him on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is, be great yeah, and, and you wrote a book about. Yeah, I wrote a book about sports. Exactly. And I've just written a paper about the NBA in China. So, <laughs> But I mean, like it is the, the South Korean... You know, this is a government that came to power based on populism. That's right. right. But it's not clear to me how popular this policy is today among the general South Korean public. And, you know, my his, his like approval ratings have gone down, mm-hmm. right? The North, South Korean president's approval ratings have gone down. And then you all have ele- an election in April. So. Yes, that's right. Well, I was going to ask you also, Kong, mm-hmm. what about the problems between Korea and Japan relations right now. How's that playing out? Oh, that's the one of the biggest concerns I have. I think that's maybe it can go worse than the current situation once the South Korean government decide to liquidate the asset of two Japanese steel company, they frozen. So I think the South Korean government is pressed by the civic organizations to, to liquidate that asset because as, as we approach the end of this year, so they've been waiting and waiting. The government has been delaying uh, and to start some kinds of talks with uh, Japan. Of course, uh, our Prime Minister Ina Gyeon went to Tokyo and delivered President Moon Jae-in's letter to Prime Minister Abe as well, but he didn't get what he wanted from Japanese side. In his letter, the Asahi Shimbun, Actually, they carried the, the content of the letter, actually. Like to have talks with Japan. That's the content, major content of that letter. But 
It didn't carry any message about the important issues Japan wants to hear from South Korean diaspora, the forced labor. Where is the South Korean government position on forced labor issue? Mm. It didn't carry that. So actually, uh, next day, actually, Prime Minister Abe said, oh, we didn't get any message except the proposal of talks, simply. They, Japanese side put forward the precondition for the resumption of any kinds of talks. So we are going nowhere at this point of time. So as time goes by, the people want to have better relations with Japan because of continuous provocation of North Korea and possibility of the, the economic measures that Japanese side has taken on South Korea will begin to bite South Korean economy. Not now, but into the future. That's we have some concern. So I think that, but is right now, I'm not that much optimistic about the Korea-Japan relations. Still another storm can come. Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite concerned as well. If the South Korean starts to liquidate Japanese assets, that's going to lead to economic decoupling between the two countries mm -hmm. for sure, which would be not just bad for the two countries, it would be bad for the United States. Sure. Be great for China, right? Uh, great for North Korea. My personal view on this is I think, you know, the business communities on both sides want this resolved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if they were left to their own devices, they could probably find some sort of resolution between them, mm -hmm. you know, some sort of resolution involving compensation for, you know, for these forced laborers that would, would not necessarily set a damaging precedent. Um, uh, but the problem is, you know, the governments are getting in the way. The politicians are getting in the way and making mm -hmm. it hard for them to do it. But I, you know, I've talked to both people in the Japanese business sector and the Korean business sector, and if they had their, if they could do it themselves, they could find a solution. And the mm -hmm. United States wants a solution. The United States definitely wants a solution. I mean, you can't. The United States can't mediate on these historical issues or get involved in Supreme Court decisions in other countries. But the United States very clearly wants the two countries to, to move forward instead of continuing to move backwards. And doesn't even though the United States doesn't have any influence over legal battles and, and, and you know, certainly corporations and things like that, our, our diplomatic influence over leaders and our allies is considerable there. Isn't there something we can do better? Yeah, no, we should definitely be more vocal about this, yeah. about how, well, you know, there there are issues here that are very complicated and they're not easily resolved. And it's not the U.S. place to try to judge what the right answer is. We've got some real threats we have to deal yeah. with, mm -hmm. right? You know, 12, now 14 ballistic missiles has two Russian incursions into South Korean sovereign territory. I mean... They've got, you know, they've got to be able to focus on the practical cooperation, um, both sides, and and uh, um, aside from the history, right? And mm -hmm. and I think the United States has always done that quietly and sometimes publicly. I think this administration got to the issue too late. By then, the damage was done already. Mm -hmm. But I think it's still possible for us to be quite vocal about this. And I think it's important not just to be quietly doing this, because we've done that in the past, but to be vocal about it because it gives both leaders more room, right, domestically, when yeah, the United actually, States is pushing. That's exactly what I wanted from the United States. But U.S. Uh, participation, all the uh, efforts to to solve this problem came too late. Yeah, I agree. That, too that's late. the problem. But any, anyhow, but still we have a chance. Thanks to North Korea's provocation. So you say, oh yeah, while we are having this problem between ourselves, we have a bigger problem. 
North Korea. That's the unifying factor. Yes, it should be. Yeah, yeah actually, be. Yeah. I actually asked the, the government to, when North Korea uh, launched the SLBM, this is the time to re actually to think about the have dialogue with Japan over this issue, or in trilateral way, or more in multilateral way. That could lead us to actually better situation to have a, have a dialogue, and also that can be translated into the talks over the other the trade issue and also the the first labor issue as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it doing having high level intervention is what is important publicly, and then you know these trilateral talks, you know, they can coordinated coordinated exercises with regard to potential new ballistic mm -hmm. missile mm -hmm. submarine threat. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then uh, coordination on export controls, right? Because for South Korea, they want to be put back on Japan's white list. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's a, that issue is export controls. And so why not have a trilateral on export controls? Mm -hmm. And to try to alleviate any concerns that Japan has about material that's being diverted. Mm -hmm. So what's it going to take to reopen this trilateral dialogue? Is it the United States making the first move? Is it Prime Minister Abe? Is it is it Moon? What, what, what does it take? Well, it would have been nice if there were a place to meet like APEC. Yeah, yeah. it's gone. <laughs> yeah, except for that, we could have gone. done that. But Chile canceled yeah. that this week. There's, so there's no APEC. Um, but I mean, usually, you know, because it is so difficult, a multilateral forum like that provides a good place because they're all there. Provides all a good there. venue, mm -hmm. and the U.S. the U.S. could host it, like at their hotel or something. And the most important stuff that goes on at those meetings, as you know, stuff on the side, si stuff on the yeah. sidelines. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that would have been ideal. That would have been, yeah, ideal. But, but by the end of the year, I think we do, we don't see any chance to have that kind of level of meeting, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So EAS, of course, there's a U.S. delegation, but not the President Trump. Yeah. Of course, maybe, I don't know what we can do. But actually, at the senior level, even in the EAS, we can have some the 40 ministerial level meeting. Mm -hmm. But this time, this, I was told that Ambassador O'Brien will be the leading the U.S. delegation, maybe... If there is a, a person from the, the Korean National Security Council or Foreign Ministry, that could be a starting point of trilateral talks, and then they can deliver the message to their boss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you know, in the past, what they had was these deputy secretary, deputy foreign minister level trilaterals. Mm -hmm. That on the U.S. side, Tony Blinken did uh, quarterly, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a great mechanism, I think, to move the bureaucracy in the right direction. But it has to be, it has to be mandated at mm -hmm. the top level, mm -hmm. right? That's you right. know, we're going to do this, and and for that to happen, the leaders have to have a chance to get together. But like, mm -hmm. because there's no APEC, and then EAS, you know, the United States president is not going to EAS. So it becomes harder. Is, mm -hmm. is Moon going to EAS? I assume Moon is yes, going. Yes, he's going. And Abe, I assume, is mm -hmm. going to EAS. So, yeah. Well, that's something we're all going to have to watch. Gentlemen, uh, Kang, thank you for being here from oh, South Korea, my from pleasure. Seoul. Yeah. Victor, as always, um, we will love to have you back next time you're in town. Thanks for the chat. Really. I, I really <laughs> enjoy the flight. <laughs> If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. 
We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.